Guys, if we want to build the future, we're gonna need something. Like a high-speed internet connection that could turn my ideas into reality. Like the skills to become the world's most powerful coder. The resources to make more films with people who look like me. Like me. Like me. Like me. Like me. Like me. Like the tools to start my sustainable shoe business. Way more space to collaborate. Yeah, that's better. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to open doors for the next generation so they can build a future of unlimited possibilities. Hi, I'm Shaletta Brundage. I'm a media personality, podcaster, and a business owner. But my most important role is mom. Three of my beautiful kids have been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. When I didn't know who to trust or where to turn, I found ACRA. ACRA provides home care services to families all over Minnesota. The care is not one size fits all. They know each one of my kids is unique. They listen to what resources we needed and what's best for our family. I've seen my kids grow and thrive with ACRA's in-home care. While autism is the most common diagnosis among ACRA clients, ACRA offers personalized in-home care services for people with disabilities, chronic illnesses, behavioral diagnosis, and mental illness. They work with children, adolescents, and older folks too. Find out more about ACRA at their website, acrahomecare.org. ACRA helps me provide my kids with a better quality of life. They can do it for your family too. Want your boss to put some real action behind the rhetoric when they talk about making your workplace more inclusive? Find out how to hold their feet to the fire and demand diversity on the Diversity Dude podcast. Hello there, and welcome back to the Diversity Dude podcast. I'm your host, Lambert Fisher, marriage and family therapist and award-winning author and national speaker on the topic of multicultural awareness and diversity. And for those of you who are interested in even more positive and encouraging tips and strategies beyond what I share in podcasts like this, then feel free to check out my award-winning book, Diversity in Clinical Practice, nationally recognized for the unique way in which it addresses the often difficult topic of multicultural awareness and diversity. And designed for more than just therapists, if you are a helping professional in any way, Diversity in Clinical Practice can help you meet the greatest variety of cultural needs possible for those whom you serve. And it's available in paper and audiobook versions for your convenience. And whether it be through my one-on-one relationship building efforts as a therapist or my informing and empowering efforts as an author or speaker, know that my personal message is to do, improve the world one strengthened relationship at a time. So today I want to share with you a few encouraging words about appreciating historically Black colleges and universities. In my years encouraging and equipping helping professionals in various fields in their efforts to increase their understanding, empathy, and efficiency in meeting the needs of an increasingly diverse population, I try to create learning environments where people feel safe enough to ask any question genuinely intended to help them overcome and understand empathy barriers helping them serve other people. As such, callous as they may seem sometimes, a common question that I receive goes something to the effect of, Lambert's. 
Can you help me understand why do HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, still exist? I mean, we're long past the days when teaching people of color to read or learn is illegal. We're even past the days when people of color were not allowed or accepted into quote unquote regular colleges and universities. I don't mean to be mean, but isn't having colleges and universities exclusive to people of color a form of reverse racism? I mean, wouldn't ending this form of institution or education be a sign of the progress we've made as a country? Now, on the surface, this may be received by many as an offensive question in and of itself, conveying nothing but disrespect and a devaluing of something that benefits people of color. And unfortunately, this caution is often correct, as there are many who very much have a problem with any successful or effective business or organization or university that promotes the well-being and success of people of color. However, as true as that may be at times, this is not always the motivation of questions like this. Sometimes, many times, there is a legitimate desire to increase understanding or clear up potential misunderstanding about something that means so much to some, but not as much to others. So, in an effort to clear up just a few of the misunderstanding barriers, reduce some unnecessary tensions or animosity, and potentially pave the way for healthier interactions and conversations regarding HBCUs, let me offer a few things to consider to help address a few of the common myths and misunderstandings regarding appreciating historically Black colleges and universities. Let me clear one easy one up first. Historically Black colleges and universities welcome more than just Black students. Not only that, but the professors and administrators are not all Black either. You see, while the origin of HBCUs may have included providing safe institutions for those who were excluded elsewhere, the primary goal of HBCUs is not reverse exclusion. Rather, it is not only to provide a genuine quality education similar to other institutions, but also to do so while in an environment that makes intentional efforts to promote and uplift the cultural identities of the students in their learning journey. Accordingly, students of all cultural backgrounds and identities are welcome at HBCUs. I once met an HBCU student who was not Black, who was asked why they chose to attend an HBCU from someone else. Their direct and simple answer was because they had one of the best journalism programs in the country. Confused by this unexpected answer, the person who asked the question pressed a little further, highlighting the fact that they would likely be surrounded by efforts to promote a cultural identity that this particular student didn't identify with. In response, the student simply said, cool. You see, part of the college experience is learning about experiences outside of my own, so that's not a detriment, it's an extra bonus. I have to say, I really love that response. A second misunderstanding to consider is that while people of color may very well be allowed in a variety of colleges and universities across the country, students of color don't always feel truly accepted while they're there. A sneak peek into a larger conversation about systemic and institutional racism is that it doesn't literally mean that every person employed by that system is racist. That, that's not how that works. Nor does it mean that there uh, needs to be signs or direct messages signaling that people of color don't belong here and should leave. Rather, it's a term that reflects the reality that whether written or unwritten, there are often policies and procedures in place at these, uh, these institutions and organizations that uh, more effectively support the progress of some students than it does for others. Similarly, whether spoken or unspoken, many students of color are made to feel less welcome than other students, as if their existence is more tolerated than genuinely appreciated in comparison to other students. 
As a matter of fact, uh, the results of a recent research study conducted by the University of Minnesota that follows students beginning in high school through college and for several years afterwards revealed that, among other things, for Black students who reported higher depressive symptoms in their teens prior to college, those who attended HBCUs reported fewer depressive symptoms even seven years after college compared to those who attended predominantly white institutions. This and other similar findings support the arguments that there's more to college that contributes to the success and well-being of its students that is beyond academics. Black students in particular who attended HBCUs received something while they were there that Black students at predominantly white institutions didn't experience that helped them not only succeed academically, but also develop identity-strengthening tools that were correlated with less depressive symptoms during their college years and even years later. You see, you don't have to point a negative finger at one person or an institution in particular in order to see how someone facing equally beneficial academic environments could ultimately choose the learning environment where they have to fight less to justify the legitimacy of their presence and instead have the emotional and social freedom to support uh, the focus on more than just exploring the upper limits of their potential beyond academics to professional progress and relational progress as well. And third, even with the progress that has indeed been made in this country, the benefits of and need for HBCUs remains as strong as ever. Although the specific needs have changed, other needs, un other unmet needs, nonetheless remain. Eliminating HBCUs due to some progress having been made would be a premature decision based on legitimate partial progress and ignoring the remaining progress that is still needed. Sometimes, the benefit is in intentional effort to teach a larger history than what is taught in some institutions. Other times it's in the integration of culturally influenced professional creativity deemed illegitimate by other institutions simply because it hasn't jumped through the traditional hoops of legitimacy, but is later shown to be nonetheless valid and legitimate in its own right. And in still other times, it's simply the non-academic socio-cultural environment, which not only provides an environment where one isn't automatically an outsider, in percentages, if nothing else, trying to fit in, but where one has the potential to experience support beyond reluctant tolerance or even novice encouragement, and instead can receive knowledgeable affirmation, experienced direction, and an abundance of culturally relatable inspiration that's powerful due to the impact of identification and representation. Before I go, let me make one thing clear. This is not a knock against predominantly white institutions in any way. There's a lot of learning to go around in a variety of ways in which that learning can occur. And I very much discourage punishing institutions for not automatically and innately having some perfect ideal ratio of culturally diverse students. However, it's one thing to not automatically have a diverse body, and it's another thing to not be making intentional efforts to try to seek out diverse student body and to make every student there feel similarly welcomed and supported. Again, this isn't diversity for diversity's sake. Rather, it's an acknowledgement that every student benefits from diversity in thoughts and diversity in life experiences during their educational experience, not only from their fellow students, but also their professors and administrators as well. HBCUs are no, no more perfect than any other institution. However, for many, they meet a need that's not already being addressed elsewhere. Until that need gets more effectively and consistently met in a larger way and in a multiple environments, then the existence of HBCUs needs to be less defended or tolerated and more appreciated and even celebrated. My hope for you 
is that whether or not you attend an HBCU, that you'll be able to see the genuine value it has for so many, not only to them individually during their academic journey, but also the contributions they offer to the world through effectively equipping professionals from a variety of cultural backgrounds and identities in a variety of fields who continue to impact the world. I look forward to the day when I hear people see someone excelling in their field and making notable contributions to the world and then discovering that they went to a historically backed college or university. And instead of being pleasantly surprised by that discovery, they say, of course, I wouldn't expect anything less. That makes sense. Not because of future increases in the quality of HBCUs, but because of the increased appreciation for the quality that's already there. And with that, I'll say thanks again for listening to Diversity Do Podcast. If you have any pressing diversity-related questions that you'd like me to address in an upcoming podcast, or if your organization is in need of a shame-free and empowering guest speaker on the training uh, on this often sensitive topic, then feel free to reach out to me directly at www.lambersfisher.com. And if you know of anyone else who can benefit from a positive and encouraging perspective on this often difficult topic of diversity, feel free to send them a link to this podcast or consider sharing with them my award-winning book, Diversity in Clinical Practice, available in paper and audiobook. And if you're a health professional interested in increasing your ability to meet the greatest variety of needs possible, no matter what their cultural similarities or differences may be, then consider registering for my upcoming live virtual event in a few weeks where I share practical tips and strategies that you can use to increase your cultural confidence and competence immediately. And although usually only available for companies and organizations privately, this live and interactive virtual event is open to the public to anyone who wants to grow. And as a thank you to all my podcast listeners, feel free to use the promo code SHAMEFREE to register for half off the registration fee. Considering the impact that this can have on your personal and professional efforts, you won't regret it. Find out more, visit diversitymadesimple.com, and I look forward to encouraging and equipping all who attend. And as usual, I look forward to addressing as many topics as possible, as many podcasts, future podcasts as possible to help you improve as many relationships as possible at work, at home, and in your community. And as always, remember this, you don't need to know everything about everyone in order to have a positive impact on someone. Thank you all for tuning in and have a great day. Tune in each week and find out how to demand and implement diversity at your job. To hear more, check out previous Diversity Dude shows on ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com. Boost your immunity and help protect your community. COVID-19 is still here and it's not too late to get your booster. Staying up to date with vaccines can help build protection that has decreased since your last shot and provide better protection against newer variants. Boosters are an important part of protecting yourself from getting seriously ill from COVID-19. To learn more and schedule your appointment, visit ramseycounty.us slash COVID vaccine. When I walked across that stage at my high school graduation, I was excited, but confused about my next step. Then I walked through the doors at Doherty Family College. Doherty Family College is part of the University of St. Thomas. It's a two-year college that lets you earn an associate's degree and puts you on the path to your bachelor's degree. Classes are small, so I have a personal relationship with professors committed to my success. Like the name says, they treat us like family. They call us scholars because they believe we could do anything we put our minds to. They set us up for excellence with free tutoring, and that's not the only thing that's free laptops, books, even breakfast and lunch, and bus fare. That's part of the package here at Doherty Family College. It's even free to apply. So do like I did. Go to dfc.stthomas.edu and set up a tour. 
We'd be excited to welcome you to our family here at Doherty Family College. Racial covenants had structured every aspect of life. Keeping black people in black spaces. Slavery's history is Minnesota's history. So much of working towards racial equity is around telling our own stories. You know Shaletta makes you laugh. But did you know Shaletta Brundage can also make you think and boost your business? Media personality, activist, and comedian Shaletta Brundage founded Shaletta Makes Me Laugh to celebrate and share the best of black culture. It's a podcasting platform. You can download 10 weekly podcasts hosted by African-American subject experts at ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com is also a production house creating broadcast quality commercial content. And Shaletta and her team of storytellers create powerful promotional campaigns to get businesses the brand awareness they're looking for. Some of Minnesota's top businesses trust Shaletta, and you can too. Get out the word about your events and products and get in front of communities of color with ShalettaMakesMeLaugh.com. She's got the power to help your business. When you're running your own business, it's exciting to imagine what's possible and overwhelming to think about how to make it work. You need a banker to help meet challenges and make the most of opportunities to grow. At Bremer Bank, we understand that success is always a team effort because right now, relationships matter more than ever and understanding is everything. Find out more at bremer.com.